Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Old Lady Speaks, or shall I call it Viola Nation, or shall I call it a to-be-determined name of a Chiesa di Totti podcast. And I mention those other two sites because we've got a SB Nation Italia roundtable with Tito from Viola Nation. Hello, Tito. Hello. The dulcest tones of Tito. And we've got Bren, overlord over at Chiesa di Totti. Hello, Bren. That's right. Good. I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. And and to keep things numbered, we've got my right-hand man over at Black and White and Red Oliver, Sam. Hello, Sam. How you doing, Danny? How's it going, guys? Basically, with Syria starting up again, we wanted to get a meeting of the minds so we could basically just talk about the restart and what kind of the expectations from a league-wide perspective is. Obviously, we've talked on our podcast about, you know, Juventus-centric and with the Coppa Italia starting up and then the league a few days later. But I guess for you first, Tito, what are you looking forward to? And are you just looking forward to seeing some actual football again, rather than just highlight after highlight after highlight of stuff you've probably seen the week earlier? You know, that's a funny question for a Fiorentina fan, because for the past half decade or so, there's not really been a lot to look forward to. It's more a sense of encroaching dread that just looms over you for a full week. So I can't say I'm that excited about Fiorentina, but I'm still excited to see them go and flail around and probably cock everything up in the way that only the Viola can, especially against Brescia, because you know that they're just going to get hammered by the worst team in the league on the return. (laughs) And then I'm going to sit in my closet where I record podcasts and have like an FDR fireside chat of unremitting profanity for four hours and then delete it. A little more optimistic, Bren? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, 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 my first thought is just be nice to see uh, something live on TV. Um, I'm kind of famous for not really watching any other leagues. I think just by virtue of having to run the set, I don't really have time for it. I don't really have an interest in the premiership or anything like that. I have a... I want to be a Bundesliga fan, but I'm just, I don't have any rooting interest, so I haven't watched that yet. So this will be the first sort of live sporting event I've watched since March. So in that vein, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. But for us, it's just all about closing that gap on Atalanta, and they have a match in hand. So it's going to be like 12 matches. I pretty much think they need 12 wins, so it's going to be nerve-wracking. And obviously the, the three teams that we represent here, we're all in different spots of the standings. And like you mentioned Bren, you, you guys have a European race. I'm sure, Tito, you're looking for Fiorentina not to do a late season stumble like they did, say, a year ago. I guess just kind of to start with you, Sam, what, what kind of are your expectations for, for the league in general as things get started up? I mean, obviously, we're not expecting it to be peak late season theatrics and, and all oh. that stuff right off the bat with such a long layoff. But what are, what are you kind of expecting from just the league-wide sense as a whole? I am expecting some really awful football for the first like three weeks of the year, maybe a little bit more. We are not going to be, these are not, this is not going to be at, to use uh, a term that our colleague Chucks did on, on the regular podcast. This is not going to be champagne football that we're watching for the first couple weeks of the season. Thunderbird Um, football. Yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be it's going to be rough to watch. We were talking a little bit about you know what we thought was going to happen on Friday, and we were all saying, yeah, this is going to be really, really. It's not going to be it's not going to be pretty, but it's still going to be there, and that's what's and that's what 
really is the most important thing for me, just to be able to see it again. And, and I think it's going to, it could really kind of upset things. I mean, I think at the bottom of the table, I think people are going to be, teams are going to be kind of so evenly matched, more evenly matched than usual for the first couple of weeks as teams start getting back into the swing of, of playing again. And I think that it could start shaking the relegation zone up a little bit. I think we could see teams that don't, that we wouldn't expect to go on a run, maybe win one or two really, really ugly games and suddenly start seeing safety as a possibility. And conversely, a team that you might think is relatively safe could just end up having a, a free fall. It's going to be, I'm, I'm, I would think that within the first two, three weeks of the season, we're going to get like a huge upset. And I, I think that I'd say maybe by mid-July, we'd be looking at something resembling what we think of as normal for Serie A. But yeah, it's going to be, th- these first couple of weeks are going to be weird. It's not going to look good, but it'll feel good when, we, when you're watching it. <laughs> I, I think it brings up a good point. I mean, we're looking at uh, three weeks, or three weeks, three months, so that's pretty much what they would normally get off. Uh, I hadn't really even thought about that. Yeah, this could be some, some ugly football out there. So, I mean, that could be good. Could spark some upsets. It could spark some really dull one to ones, zero zeros. But we could have some three to threes, four to four. So it's going to be pretty nuts the first couple of weeks. I didn't think of that. So that's a good point. I think for me, what I'm most interested in is the uh, tactical application of the new rules. Sounds like we're not going to see VAR, which is fine with me. Also, the five subs rule I think is going to be intriguing. I think that's going to lead to a lot more tactical flexibility, especially for managers who are a little bit more willing to chop and change mid-game, which is not Beppe Yakini because we all know how he's going to play no matter what, but this is more just purely academic interest. I think my other real concern is players' health, not just from the virus, although also I am not totally convinced that every team is going to make it to the end and not get shut into quarantine for a positive test. Hmm. But also look how many players are already getting hurt in training. And I think when you add to that two games a week in the summer, which for those of y'all who have not spent a lot of summers in Italy, it gets really, really hot and everyone is going to be dehydrated and miserable. I I think more than anything, my concern for the health of the players and the staff, and basically if we can just get through this, preferably without Fiorentina dropping down about five spots in the table, I'm going to call that a win. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I remember when I first saw the the schedule come out, was it last week? And, you know, you're just looking at the dates alone. You're not – you know, you're not even looking about who they're playing or whatever, where they are, but it's just like there's three days between the first one, three days between the second one. Maybe maybe there's a fourth or, you know, real maybe a fifth, depending on when that fixture before was. But, I mean, it's it's pretty much, you know, a Tuesday or Wednesday to a Friday or Saturday and then repeat. And I think we've kind of described it between us on our side as kind of just two straight months of what it looks like during Champions League or, or Europa League group stage without an international break thrown in in between. And then for, you know, for us, 
on you know on, on our site you know there's there's also champions league right after that too so it could be an august full of fixtures just like that as well so i get that they're moving games later to try and avoid the heat like you mentioned tito but at the same time these managers these managers have to be thinking how am i going to especially the the ones with not much squad depth how the how the hell am i going to handle this because it's it's going to be a lot and you you've got the 3 month layoff just kind of hanging over everything on top of the possible coronavirus coming back and infecting your team it makes me wonder if the teams that are used to european competition might have that physical edge because they are somewhat used to playing schedules like this you know juve's been doing juve's been playing that kind of champions league group stage game every three days between october and december you know since 2012 Rome has been doing it for a long time between Champions League and Europa. Napoli's been doing it for a while. Lazio to a lesser extent when they make the Europa League as well. But it, it you know, it's going to come down to, like Tito said, what's the conditioning? How many guys are going to get hurt or not hurt? Danny, you and I had uh, had the mentioned specifically for Juve because we are the only team that has created a B team up to this point, but for other clubs, what their primaveras and other academies might end up having to having to to put up for actual and actually get results instead of just like being there to, to be the last guy thrown on in a in a weird you know in a in a match against a team that you think you'll win against. It's it's going to be interesting to see just how far down into the barrel some teams might have to reach. We talked about it plenty on our, on our podcast this week, but you know, if you guys do have to dip into the the depths of of the roster, or how confident are you guys really that you'll be kind of able to? <laughs> as Tito shakes his head in kind of a pessimistic kind of way, but how do you think you guys will be able to really manage such a just a ridiculous crunch to even get the the season finished? I'm not as pessimistic as I could be, honestly. Fiorentina has more depth than they've had in years. I think having a new owner who's willing to splash some cash has definitely helped, especially with the biggest January transfer window that I think the club has ever had. Shout um, out Rocco Camiso, Viola Station podcast guest. Episode three, it's really cool, I swear. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> sorry. Shameless, shameless plug alert. Yeah, I think that Fiorentina probably has some pretty good squad depth right now, especially in the midfield. And if Christian Kwame gets healthy, I think the forwards are going to be really well set. Franck Ribéry is also set to return from a lengthy injury layoff, so that'll be fun to watch. I think to me the biggest concerns there are at the back, where there is not as much depth. If one of the three starting defenders, Herman Petzela, Nikola Milenkovic, and your old friend, Martin Cáceres, if one of them goes down, I mean, Igor is there. I looked good at Spall for the first half of the year, but not a lot of experience. He's like 22. And after that, it starts, I mean, it starts getting thin after that. Same for the wingback or fullback positions. So... I think so much of it is just going to be who gets hurt and it's going to be so random and so chaotic and that's going to 
affect the outcome probably more than anything else. What about you, Brent? Are you just expecting Ed and Jekko to be banging on in goals right off the bat? <laughs> I'm still hung up on them. There's no review. I must have missed that memo. Because uh, <laughs> it works so well. I, I, I don't know. I, we don't really talk about injuries at our website because we've had 20 ACL tears over the past four or five years. <laughs> That's a subject we like to avoid. Um, you're, you're kind of like you're kind of like Juventus with the uh, muscle strains. It's just it's just just never. No, no, they have that too. I oh, think okay. oh, they have those too. No, no, a couple years ago there was uh, one of the other Roma sites, one of the Italian ones, calculated there was like four or five dozen muscle injuries throughout the season, and there's all these stories about the uh, the turf at the training ground was too hard, and they replaced it a couple years ago. So it's a it's a nightmare over there in terms of injuries. The, the, yeah, the turf at the Olympico ain't that much better either. Yeah, what was the question? Something about Jacko? Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, well, yeah, he's pretty much the only center forward unless at Kalinich, but he doesn't really do much. Um, Sorry. Yeah, it's it's pretty much him or bust when it comes to that. And then, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's like they have Under who can create his own shot. Justin Clabbert is certainly fast enough to create his own shot, but it doesn't happen all that often. So, yeah, it's pretty much going to be Jekyll or Bust. And I'm thinking about Primavera. There's maybe only been like two kids, Alessio Riccardi and Ricardo Calafiore, who would be potential sources of help from that from that level. But I'm not really counting on it. But the squad is pretty deep, um, particularly in midfield. Just It gets a little dicey in defense if you have to rely on Juan Jesus. Right back is either Bruno Perez, Parrish, excuse me, or... Well, now it's Epicosta because he's here. So, yeah, the defense he's is pretty He's still fit. there? Zappacosta? Yeah, he was, well, he tore no, his ACL. No, he He tore his ACL. No, no, he, uh, he tore his ACL. Yeah, yeah, no, he was in Brazil in their second league, and his uh, loan expired in January, so he came back, no taker, so they had no choice. Uh, but he actually came on in a couple spots <laughs> and played pretty well. Uh, I mean, he's fast and he can dribble, so that, that's enough in short bursts. But, yeah, depth, depth up front. Is it worrisome if Jekyll gets hurt? It's pretty much what can they do? They might go four six zero with maybe Diego Prati. But midfield, midfield will be good. So if we lose Jekyll, if we lose Mancini or Smalling, then it's uh, it's gonna be a rough twelve matches. From a league wide perspective, what are you guys looking at as something that is prevalent to not necessarily your team, but just something you're looking forward to seeing? Besides the obvious fact that it seems like pretty much every day there's gonna be at least one one game for the most part. I just like watching Andrea Pitania because he doesn't really look like a football player. <laughs> he, looks like our, he looks like our football player. He looks like he could be a tight end. I, you know, I'm just looking at the table right now, and I just, I'm looking. I wouldn't be shocked to see if, I mean, the teams at the bottom, if they just say the hell with it, like Lecce, just the hell with it, just go for it every single match. There's no holding back. Really, they get all or nothing for them. So I, I know someone mentioned it earlier, but just some unexpected things at the bottom of the table I think would be kind of cool. Um, and then just really just seeing it again, it's going to take me a while to uh, get back in my sort of match week flow. Yeah, I'll I'll second that on the uh, taking a while to get back into the back into the swing of things. I think for me, what I'm really interested in is seeing all of the insanely janky lineups that are going to come out with so many fixtures and with injuries, like four six zeros, like three two fives. I think there's just going to be <laughs> so much doofiness. And I like things that are terrible and make no sense, hence Fiorentina. So I think this is right up my alley. Um, what about you, Sam? Are you, is it safe to say you're looking forward to uh, more Danilo at right back now that I uh, oh, always Danilo? Oh, so much Danilo. I, I will. <laughs> the, the, the Danilo and DeShirio pair is just, you know, 
At, at least it's not Marco Motta. <laughs> at least it's not Marco Motta. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that I am interested in seeing, uh, and Tito, you touched on it earlier, was is just how the extra subs are going to be handled. Like, I know there was at least one Bundesliga game that I saw. It was it was Bayern killing somebody. I forget who it was, but the the, the team the the team that Bayern was playing, who were down, I think four or five nil at halftime. They just threw three guys in at halftime because they knew they'd have two more. So, you know, why that, you know, I feel like that's why the hell not. I, I, you know, it, it almost makes me sad that Max Allegri is not coaching us this year because this would be totally, totally up his, up his alley to, to just like put on a bunch of guys and end up with like using six different formations over the course of the game until something stuck to the wall and he was like, all right, now we'll just do stamina management. But yeah, that and, and minutes management in general, not only for Juventus, because, you know, that's always been one of Saudi's strong points, but, but also league-wide, just, you know, seeing, you know, we, we're probably going to end up seeing guys that wouldn't otherwise be playing on a regular basis play some pretty significant minutes because you simply have to put them out there at some point. Even if guys aren't hurt, you're going to have to cycle and rest guys given this, the, the craziness of this, of, of the pace that we're going to be seeing until the end of, until the beginning of August. And it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be, you know, do team about, you know, if you're a team like Juventus, do you time that up to when you're playing, you know, like, Cagliari or or someone someone else that's you know low down. Do you take a chance on X Y Z? How do you sequence it up to ramp up to a big game in terms of your squad rotation? Like you know for Juve they're playing Atalanta and Lazio back to back. How do you how does Sadi decide to work his rotation for that little little fun bit there? Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how the empty stadiums affect things. I mean obviously. They, they keep on saying that there might be guys in fans in seats by the end of the season, which is a terrible, terrible idea. And, and, you, keep, and you keep seeing like, people who are actually serious doctors and scientists saying, oh, yeah, well, that might be possible. And I'm just sitting there going, what on earth are you thinking? But, you know, you've, you know as, having played one game at Juve that's been behind closed doors and been a pretty significant game, against Inter, it was weird. But somehow, Juve responded to that weirdness in a way that I never thought would have been possible and played probably their best game of the season. Sadi always talks about how we're better in training than we are than we end up on match day. Maybe they just kept on feeling like it was training because no one was watching. Yeah, th- those are the things that I'm really interested in. How the squads are going to get set up and how the emptiness affects the play. Uh, jumping in on the empty stadiums, Fiorentina's last game before the layoff here was at Udinese. And I don't remember who it was for the for the Udinese staff. It wasn't the head coach. It was one of his assistants got sent off for just cussing out the ref from the sidelines. And because there's no one in the stadium, the ref could hear it from the central circle and was just like, <laughs> like there was this like pause and he stopped and looked over at the guy with this like, are you serious, Face? It was really funny. So I'm, I'm actually kind of excited <laughs> for those little <laughs> incidents or like to hear coaches yelling instructions at players. 
I think that could be just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the uh, best parts of the Juve Inter game that was behind closed doors was just hearing the talk between the players, and obviously with forty thousand people in a stadium or whatever, that's not something you get to hear at all. So you get to you get to hear that part. I mean, you get to hear sorry just berating certain players for you know minutes on end, and and I mean that aspect. But I I guess the the we led right into the empty stadium part but I know one of the things that has come out of the Bundesliga is that home field advantage hasn't really been that much of an advantage I who knows how much of the atmosphere has to do with it but I mean do you think especially now knowing how unpredictable things will be the first couple weeks out of the out of the restart that home fields aren't going to be as important as they may be if there was say a, a, a full Olympico or a full Allianz Stadium whatever Hmm. I'm just kind of curious with no fans in the same if the ESPN announcers are going to make more or less premiership references during a football <laughs> bonus. Oh my God. I think you can tell you that one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know for at least for, for my team, it's, um, you know, they play in like a 70,000 seat stadium. They only usually fill half of that. So if you ever watch a match on, there's like just like a whole swath of blue seats that are right on screen that are always empty. It makes for a really bad look. How does that um, compare to Old Trafford, by the way, seeing as we want Premier League references? I was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you, you do bring up a good point. Um, it, you know, yeah, gosh, that's going to be weird with no flags, no streams, no. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be a lot of echoes and things like that. So I think you're right. It's not going to, that whatever slim advantage they may have had from their curva suits could disappear, quite frankly. It should, it should be interesting. Yeah, I think at the Franchi, given all of the column ink that's been spilled about Fiorentina getting a new stadium, <laughs> seeing it empty is going to be... That's a sore subject. Yeah, it's going to add that little extra level of surreality, which yeah, would be you can, great. You can check in about eight years and see if ours is still built yet. It's been almost eight years now. Oh, we've... Yeah, uh, just imagine yeah. what would happen to you guys if Claudio Lotito ends up becoming mayor of Rome, like oh. they're saying they're trying to try to run for mayor of Rome. I always, jo- I always joke that if they didn't build a team in the year, they should just move the team to Vegas because that's every professional team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read, I read that the other day. Uh, yeah, we're fans of Virginia Raji for non-political reasons, but um, yeah, that would be oh my god, that'd be horrible. <laughs> Because you know, yeah, he would. That would that would take like, like a whole. That would take just bribing and all that to a whole new level of absurdity. Oh no, no, he'd 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 have you build the entire stadium, then take it away and have Lazio play in in instead. That's what he. <laughs> yeah, man, Lotito in charge of the league—that'd be as crazy as like letting the guy who owns AC Milan run the country. <laughs> Whoops! Bunga bunga. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Danny. What was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> home, home, oh, home field advantage, right? Yeah. Right, right, yeah. No, sorry, I, I, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you so long, Tito. Sorry. Oh, you're you're good, man. I think that was probably a worthwhile. Uh... <laughs> I just, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's just a Rome thing, or if just stadiums can't get built in that country at all. So I'm always curious to see what happens with other stadiums. Every time I read one, I just sort of laugh or roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, we'll see how that goes. It's not yeah. just us. It's, yeah, I it's think it's the, everyone in Italy. 
Yeah, yeah I okay. mean, we're that the only cool. ones that have managed to to knock one down and and build an entirely new building. Like Udinese, Udinese, like b- rebuilt the the Stadio Fulian sections. Atalanta's doing the exact same thing. Yeah, well, Mape is a new build. It's Sassuolo, I think. But I guess they only really built the Mape, that. The Mape, Mape is 1995. What's that? The Mape is 1995. Yeah. That's that oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyways, for, right, home field advantage at Fiorentina. <laughs> That's exactly what we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I think just because we're going to have this small sample size with so many other variables that it will lessen the impact of home field advantage just because there are so many other things floating around that will affect the games. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the Franke has a pretty good atmosphere, all things considered. Uh, the fans, especially since Rocco took over, have been out in droves. They've been real loud. They've, tr- they've even traveled really well. Uh, they also have a really impressive talent for when they're traveling for ending up right under the sound recording for the stadium broadcast. <laughs> so it frequently sounds like you're in the Franke even when they're away, which is always hilarious to me. But yeah, I don't think it'll make that much of a difference, all things considered, compared to everything else that's going to be crazy. The biggest impact might end up being on referees as opposed to players because i mean it's the referees it, this has been statistically proven there's a a, a a book that was written uh years ago by a sports illustrated writer i think it's called score scorekeeping or something like that that has a it talked about a bunch of aspects of sports officiating being one of them and that it's been kind of proven that officials in all sports tends to veer towards home teams just because of the way the crowds react so it might you know we might see some good calls or bad calls that are a little different than what we would normally see because no one's going to be screaming and the ref isn't going to say oh heck that obviously he must have he must have gotten them if they're going that loud uh like michael oliver did so it is going to be you know it is going to be weird and it and it and in some ways like you know what was the one thing that Juventus fans were kind of hanging their hats on over the two debacles against Lazio? Well, we haven't played them at home yet. <laughs> is that, so much will that be a thing? Yeah. But it's, I, I also think Tito, your, your point is, is, is a good one that there's going to be so many other variables that it might, you know, this, this might get buried on the list of things that are really, that, that that'll end up deciding it based on how crazy this finish is going to be. We'll say too. That's a really good point about the referees, because without VAR, I bet we're going to see a lot more of players getting attacked by gravity unexpectedly. <laughs> and I bet we'll see a lot more when Barcelona-style mobbing the referee and begging for decisions and trying. Well, that's to not a, well. That's that against way. the rules because of social distancing now. So we'll, that's going to be really interesting to see, like. <laughs> Like, I, I, I kind of have a feeling that we're going to see one of those early on and, like, he's going to yellow card the entire scrum because there's, you know, 
only the captain's now supposed to be able to talk like i mean that's always the way it's supposed to be but it's never that you know how it goes i think i i have not seen anything about the cessation of var for the beginning because i remember seeing nicola rizzoli giving interviews saying that he wanted to keep it going i and i was wondering if you had i was one i was just wondering where you'd seen that because i hadn't yet i haven't seen i haven't seen any official word yet but it sounds like the referees association i I am not going to cite my sources here because I don't remember them, but I think I remember reading something about the Referees Association being very skeptical about the VAR booth and cramming a bunch of officials into this confined space because death. So <laughs> It's a good reason. I mean, that that death is I, a good reason. I, figured, yeah. I think so. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't honestly know does bring a whole new question to never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> Mention Palermo's not in the league. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've got obviously a, a different viewpoint here and, you know, there's actually a title race this season. So that's, you know, something that hasn't necessarily been there the last few years, but I guess knowing that it's Juventus lost your brand, it's either your eternal enemy or your, I guess your second eternal enemy, and obviously Tito, I don't know how you feel against Lazio, but I know how you feel against Juventus. So I guess, quote unquote, neutrals from the title race point of view, are you guys looking forward to seeing potentially an actual title race go down in the last few weeks? Or is it just, you know, this, this thing is so unpredictable with the restart. Is it just, it is, it is what it is. And I'm just focused on my own damn team. No, I think it's perfectly healthy when the same team wins the league for 10 years in a row. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think for just for the sake of it, it's good. But um, yeah, people are always surprised. Right? The team I really hate the most is Inter, just because when I I knew I liked it. you, I knew I well, liked you. Oh, yeah. no, good no, man, no, good just, man. Yeah, just, I mean, like the Mourinho time when they kept Roma at you know arms length for so many years and they were so close. That was just very uh, frustrating. Yeah, God, that's, that's, you know, it's a pick your poison whether I want Lazio or Juventus. I, like, I'm just happy there's a race. I think it'll be good for the health of the league. I, I think if Juve, no offense to you two, but if they just keep winning, I think the league risks slipping even further down the European packing order. It's just kind of a joke that the same team wins. Was it eight times now? I kind of lost track, and they have yep. such a significant financial advantage, and they have their stadium. So I think uh, it would be good to upset the apple cart for a year as much as it would pay me to see Lazio win. But the last time Lazio won, we won the very next year. So I'll take that omen. Yeah, you know, obviously I am not really hoping for a Juventus Scudetto at all. But I also despise Lazio so much yes. for their <laughs> professed political ideology generally. Obviously not everyone there, a few bad apples, etc. But yeah, those guys suck. So I am, I guess I am hoping for a meteor more than anything. A meteor. Yeah. I mean, are we, are we completely discounting Inner, closing the gap, going on a miracle, sort of Mighty Ducks kind of run? The Flying V maybe they'll pull it out and win? Is, 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 is uh, Don Antonio going to channel his inner Gordon Bombay? Is that what you're saying? That's, and, and then and Charlie, yeah. who's going to slot in as Charlie Conway giving up his his roster spot the last game of the season? You know that fits though with all the well, subs. Right, he's going to be mind yeah. it does. It does. Yeah. Number ninety nine. Bang. Uh, uh, it's it's. <laughs> well, what do, what do you two think? Are you guys actually um, scared for once that it's going to happen that you're going to lose? 
if there wasn't I a know. layoff, I definitely would have been because just the way Lazio was playing for much yeah. of the season, it was pretty darn impressive. And the way they had played Juventus head to head was, I mean, they kicked their ass both times. So right. that's obviously not encouraging from our black and white point of view. But I mean, now it's just, it's just a total crapshoot. And I mean, I've been trying to do some advanced work. So just restart doesn't kill me. And it's, I kind of just coming back to the point where it's just like, man, I really have no idea what's going to happen these next few weeks, not let alone a month, a month and a half later. So what was, um, what was even I, the last, what was even the last close one? I can't, I honestly can't remember. I know we were second a couple of times. It was, it was pretty distant. Uh, well, the last, there was the two seasons ago when Napoli won at the Juventus stadium and celebrated like they'd won the champions league, even though they were still one point back and then hawked it against yeah, yeah. those guys yeah. the next week. Um, yeah, man, that was so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, could that season have been worse? And apparently, yes. <laughs> apparently, yes. Um, was that Iguain's monster year before he got? That sold? was uh, no, no. That was that was when Iguain scored the the winner against Inter, and then uh, the next day. Uh, but he was already, he was already on Juve, is what I'm asking. He was on Juve, yeah. Okay. No, that yeah. was that was that oh. was his la- That was the that was the year before Ronaldo. So he was still, okay. you, know, you know, that was before we sent him on that little <laughs> odyssey of his last season. Oh gosh, that's right. He went to Milan, <laughs> and then Chelsea, <laughs> and then Chelsea. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, and then I had to write about him for an entire summer because they were going to come here. <laughs> yeah, yeah that right. was fun. <laughs> Who knows? Fiorentina might be next up for good old Gonzalo. You know. I think they have enough strikers right now between <laughs> the like four dozen on the roster at the moment. And unless Iguain plans to eat all of them, which I mean, maybe, but <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> I don't think that would be very constructive. <laughs> In some ways it wasn't surprising, but to see Gonzalo Higuain being the first Juventus muscle injury to come up was <laughs> You know, not in the slightest. It's kind of like, is it Kadira? Is it Costa? Is it Higuain? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, pick your poison. I'm surprised it wasn't Costa. I'm, Costa is going to be the guy on Friday that I'm going to be keeping my eyes glued to because, like, the first, the, the first minute he slows down, I'm going to be like, oh no, that's just the end of the play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, since I've got Tito and Bren here, I guess I would, wouldn't be doing justice to ask about decision earlier this this week about the Serie A women coming to an end and that obviously got some <laughs> reactions out of those two on the zoom call here but uh just kind of kind of what do you guys think about it? I mean obviously this was just kind of a situation where it's just so back and forth and then it seems like Italy just turned out to be Italy <laughs> with the final decision and I mean I know I know for all of us we were just looking forward to to seeing them and even if the title race might not have been all that exciting towards the final few fixtures, the the race from Europe was looking looking yeah. really really good. But just kind of what do you guys think about what what happened? And that I know was, uh, we we've all tried to have a bigger female football representation on our blog this this past year after the World Cup. So what do you guys think about what what they decided a few days back? I, mean, I was obviously um, incredibly disappointed because it just it, there was no real. Um, warning or inclination that was going to happen and so to see them just sort of so swiftly say okay we're not going to do it and I, i'm curious to see if that was always their 
decision or were they sort of taken aback by the response from the players association association, which was fully justified and not completely fantastic. So, I mean, my, my initial reaction is it was sort of a stupid thing to do, but then you think about some of the smaller teams who don't have the financial or direct affiliation with the men's team. Maybe they wouldn't be able to afford. That was at least sort of the rationalization I'd read that they couldn't afford all the medical protocols and things like that. So it was sort of, I guess, an all or nothing thing. But um, from my perspective, it was incredibly disappointing because there were, only a point behind Fiorentina Milan. So it was, but you know, I was really looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, in a lot of ways more fun to watch that team because they're in the mix. They're only well, been around for two years now, but they've been in the mix every single time. So I was really, really excited to see how it was going to close out. But I mean, you just, you have to feel bad for them uh, in general. And I just think they're sort of at an inflection point for the sport in the country because they had such a huge tide of goodwill after last summer making it to the quarterfinals. And I just feel like they're going to blow it by this and by dragging their feet on paying these women what they deserve. So it just sucked. That's what I could describe it. Second bet. Uh, I think I, it, I, I agree with Bren. I think it makes perfect sense that they did shut it down for those smaller teams that don't have the financial resources but I think it also throws into stark relief how underfunded and ignored by the levels of bureaucracy and government in, in Italy that the women's game is. And I think more than anything, that is what infuriates me. Uh, I mean, Alia Wanyi, who's Fiorentina's captain and is just super cool. Like, she's she is awesome we've interviewed her she's rad uh is talking about leaving fiorentina so she can go get paid to play the sport that she plays professionally which yeah yeah, which makes my brain want to run out of my ears yeah and it sorry i'm gonna get all (laughs) irritated and start stuttering here in a sec but it is just disgusting, I think, the way that the women players are being treated, the way that their season has been treated with no transparency, the fact that the FIGC has now backed off funding the move to what could eventually be full professionalism because of this, while desperately trying to ruin the men's game and even talking about putting people in the stadia, which is, as far as I'm concerned, tantamount tantamount, to murder. (laughs) So I just, the the double standard that is on display makes me want to go put my fist through a wall. But don't do that because you're in the recording bunker, so. That's true, yeah, no, it's it's (laughs) 17 solid feet of concrete all around me, so it wouldn't work. But on the plus side, this way Fiorentina are in the Champions League again. So that's exciting, I guess. But I just, yeah, it just doesn't feel as good as it would have if they'd gotten in there otherwise, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like a total missed opportunity knowing that so many women's leagues, I mean, I totally get the financial constraints. You know, you look at some of the bottom table teams and, you know, they're not associated with men's teams or they're associated with very small men's teams. So they don't have the financial capabilities as say a Juventus. That's, I mean, or, that's, that's what the rationalization I've read. Yeah. But I, I think what we yeah. would 
would like to see is if they're serious about this, then why can't yeah. the money come from a centralized place? Make, find the money. Find so, the money for them is what yeah, we option. wanted. Is what we right, want to yeah. The from money the exists. The money is there. And they're choosing not to shell out because they're sexist. So, yeah, I think that's what makes me curious. Yeah. And I know this this past summer or last summer, I guess, because we're, I guess we're getting close to another summer, but it was kind of that moment for me where, you know, I, I, I really kind of dove deep kind of like in the, into the national team, like I did with the men back in 2006. So it was kind of that, kind of that light bulb going off in my head where it's like, Oh, these, (laughs) this team is, you know, these players are pretty damn good. And obviously Italy, you know, made the run that they did, which was, I think all of us, agree here was completely unpredicted oh yeah so you look at that and then you know just i know i've i've talked about it i think on our podcast a little bit and seeing juventus with a strong italian core of female players is really kind of the complete different direction that the men's team has gone and that's been a really cool thing to see because i know just watching the women's world cup last year was like you know seven players eight players from the same team you can kind of see why they're starting to, you know, play really well together because they basically have been for the last X amount of years. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. It was, even though it, it was definitely trending towards that direction from the beginning just because it's Italy. And like you said, they don't really respect the women's game all that much because like we've mentioned, they're not professionals yet. And who knows what this delay will will mean for for the professionalism for them, but it's just disappointing. I mean, I was, I was looking forward to seeing, seeing, you know, obviously, you know, the Juve women lift the title again, but also for the, for the European race. Cause that was, that was, you know, one of the, the things that they really could have hung, hung their hat on. It's like, we've got something serious to be played out on the field where now it was an algorithm. And, and even and though Tito, your to- team benefited from it, you know, it's like, it's it's not the same and yeah. and just to be able to say we are only one of only two we would have been one of only two countries in europe to start their leagues up again even the the brits who are freaking swimming in money put it are you know shuttered the women's the the their top women's league and not only that like they advertised they were just advertising their national women's team coach on their freaking website like in a classified if that doesn't tell you about any about about the about the state of the women's game everywhere and even you know the the setbacks that the u.s women uh, women's team have been having in their equal pay case lately if that doesn't show you what soccer at large thinks of the women's game i i feel insulted by it and i'm a dude I, so I can't imagine what, you know, a, a t- some teenager in, you know, their high school team playing, you know, trying to get into the national team program must think when they see something like this in the U.S. Or what a, a young girl who watches somebody like Barbara Bonansea play and, and, de- and decides she wants to be like her, what she would think when she sees similar things happening in Italy. It, it breaks my heart. It really does. I think the takeaway from all this is that maybe everyone who's in charge of organizing any soccer anywhere is bad. 
we waited how many minutes into this podcast for that conclusion? <laughs> I did like the just absolutely wall-eyed, glaze, like glazed-over expressions y'all responded to that statement with. That was very good. The the, bene- the benefits of a of a Zoom call. So. It's it's you know it was good succinct and right so there's not much else you can say. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we'll wrap things up. I want to thank Bren and Tito for joining us on this special edition of The Old Lady Speaks. If you want to subscribe to Tito's podcast, much like our podcast, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And who knows, maybe you can find a Aroma podcast hosted by Bren. Ours is on AOL. So for 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 Tito, for Bren, and for Sam, this is Danny saying thank you once again, and uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>